boys and girls. This is Miss Kathy. We're in the middle of the Christmas season, and we thought we'd bring you some stories from Guide's Greatest Christmas Stories. After the Christmas season, we'll be returning to our regularly scheduled shoebox mystery books. Christmas is a special time of year, a time to celebrate the birth of baby Jesus, who was born in a stable. Shepherds, after being serenaded by angels, rushed over to find the baby lying in a manger. Wise men, carrying gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, followed a bright star until it led them to the baby king. What about you? Will this Christmas bring you closer to Jesus? I hope so, and I hope that the Jesus of Christmas will live in your heart throughout the year. Helen Lee Robinson, Editor Runaway Christmas by Marianne Myers It was a cold December evening in Dallas. Joe shivered in his thin jacket as he walked to the trailer park where he lived with his mother and two younger sisters. He had been job hunting all day, for many days, in fact, but it seemed that nobody wanted to hire a 14-year-old boy, not even during the rush of business a few days before Christmas. Discouragement hunched Joe's shoulders as he stepped up to the front door of his family's rented trailer. Walking inside, he could see his little sisters playing with paper dolls on Mom's bed. With a sigh, he sank down on the frayed old sofa that made into his bed at night. Tears seeped into his eyes, and he wiped them away with a chilled, grimy hand. Something prickly with the fragrance of the forest brushed against his cheek. The Christmas tree. He had forgotten about the thick sprig of fur he had found. The pale light revealed a pop bottle near his feet. He picked it up, stuck the sprig in it, and placed it on the table. Looking about for a bit of trimming, he saw a crumpled red ribbon tied around a doll. Good enough, he thought, jerking the ribbon loose and making a lopsided bow of it near the top of the branch. I suppose it is better than nothing, but it still isn't much, he grumbled. Sharon and Janie raced to him and exclaimed with delight when they saw the table decoration. It's pretty, declared Sharon. Janie hopped up and down, clapping her hands. Pretty good, pretty good. To Joe, it was sickening to see them make such a fuss over a small piece of greenery. It's pretty awful, he snorted, but we'll have some sort of Christmas tree even if we don't have a home anymore. Joe walked into the kitchen area and flipped on the light. Guess we might as well have supper, he muttered as he carried peanut butter and a loaf of bread to the table. Sharon settled down near his right elbow. We do have a home, right here. This is just an old trailer, Joe grumbled. I mean a real home, like our old place in Oklahoma. That was rented, too, but it was a nice house, Sharon agreed. Mom says we need to live here so she can work until Daddy comes home from the hospital. Joe passed the peanut butter to Janie and watched as she spread her slice of bread. His thoughts were with Dad in the Veterans Hospital, many miles away across the wide city. If only he could be with us on Christmas Day, Joe sighed. It would make a big difference. Sharon wiped peanut butter from her lips with the back of her fingers. Mom says he might. There's a chance. That's what she's been saying for six months. Sharon nodded. But maybe this time, Christmas is special. There was nothing to say, nothing to be done about anything, Joe decided. The sofa looked inviting to his tired, thin body, so he left the table, spread out on the cushion, and ate his bread without really tasting it. The next morning, Joe was just as discouraged as he had been the night before. No need to go job hunting, he thought as he walked out the door into the cool, mid-morning air. He walked around among the trailers until he saw some boys playing ball. Hi, want to join us? Bill shouted. Okay, Joe replied with a shrug. The boys had been playing almost an hour when it was Joe's turn to bat again. Watch this, he called. I'm going to smash it. A home run over the fence. 
Look who's crowing, chuckled Bill. Just because he didn't miss the ball last time, he thinks he can. Whoops. The last word was uttered in alarm. Joe had smacked the ball really hard. The bat tingled in his hands. Then suddenly everything went wrong. Instead of the ball going over the fence, it struck the car window of a vehicle that seemed to come out of nowhere and get into its path. There was the crash of broken glass, and a very angry woman climbed out and made her way toward home base. "'You did it on purpose! You saw me coming!' she snarled. Joe looked around for some help, but the rest of the boys had disappeared. Gripping the bat more firmly as if it could give him strength, he stammered, "'I'm—I'm I'm sorry, ma'am. I didn't see you, and I didn't mean to hit your car. I'm terribly sorry.' "'You'll be more than sorry when you have to pay the bill,' she yelled, her face red with hate. "'I, I can't,' Joe said. "'I don't have any money.' "'Well, I'll just have to talk to your folks,' she said. "'If you can't pay, they'll have to, or else I'll turn you over to the police.' A faint, sickening feeling clutched the boy. He gulped for breath. "'Give me time,' he pleaded. "'I'll pay.' "'You have until January 1,' the woman said. "'Now give me your name and address.' Reluctantly, Joe told her while she wrote on a notepad. Then she followed him to his trailer just to make sure he was telling the truth. "'Well, at least I know who you are and where you live.' Be ready to pay the repair bill or go to jail. Joe knew job hunting was useless, but again he went from place to place at the nearby shopping center. The answer was still the same. There was no work for him. He walked to another shopping area and still another. Still no job. At last he decided to turn around and head back home. It was after 9 p.m. when Mother returned from work. She looked extremely tired, but there was a smile on her face as she took off her coat and scarf. "'Bedtime for all,' she announced. Joe tossed and turned, unable to fall asleep because of the thoughts running through his head. He had never felt so miserable and upset. The angry woman had said she would turn him over to the police if he couldn't pay for the broken window, and he knew there wasn't any place to get money between now and the first of the year. Mom had even told him that she couldn't afford presents this year. Finally, Joe couldn't stay in bed any longer. He dressed in the dark very quietly, felt for his jacket, and slipped into it. Then he tiptoed to his mother's bedroom door. The handle of her purse was hanging on the doorknob. He opened the purse and found a few crumpled bills. I'd better take them all, he thought, and hoped there would be enough for a ticket back to their old home in Oklahoma. He crammed the money into his pocket and slipped out the door into a bitterly cold night. It was 10.30 when he reached the downtown bus station. To his delight, he was told when he bought his ticket that a homebound bus would be ready to board in 30 minutes. He tried to act nonchalant so he would not give the impression that he was running away from his family. Joe sat down in the waiting room, but in his thoughts he was already back in Oklahoma. Maybe I can get a job. I'll pay for the broken window, and I'll pay Mom the money I borrowed tonight. The ride to his hometown in northern Oklahoma was uneventful. Several hours before daybreak, Joe stepped down from the bus, looked about at the dark, deserted streets, then went inside the depot. Since he was the only person at the station, he stretched out full length on the bench and closed his eyes in slumber. Stirring voices awakened him. With a yawn, he pulled himself together and looked at the clock. It was 7 a.m. He hopped up and made his way through the crowd waiting for a bus and hurried down the street to Johnson's Café. A smiling, middle-aged woman greeted him as he walked inside. "'Good morning. Want to sit at the counter?' He nodded. "'The place looks so different. Where is Mr. Johnson? Not up yet?' "'I bought him out last year,' the woman said. "'Do you like the way I redecorated the place?' 
Disappointment that Mr. Johnson wasn't there only added to the greater feeling that he had overslept. I wanted to be out to our old place by now, he fumed to himself. It takes a long time to walk three miles. After eating a quick breakfast, Joe went outside and hurried down the street. The area looked different from what he remembered. Instead of fields and trees, there were newly paved streets and new houses. Then he saw some familiar woods. Beyond it was a curved dirt road. Joe's feet picked up speed. There it was, just around the bend. His house. The shabby, weather-beaten dwelling was surrounded by tall, dry weeds. A broken fence and a few slats of gate leaned almost to the ground. But it was home. Joe climbed up on the porch and tried to open the front door, only to find it locked securely. Grimy window panes offered only a vague view of the dark rooms inside. Joe hopped down into the yard and made his way to the back door. It yielded to pressure when he slammed his body against it, and he found himself in the kitchen with unexpected suddenness. Wee! he whooped. I'm home again! His voice made happy echoes through the empty rooms. It's like a dream, he thought, stepping into the small living room. I'll hide here, stay here always, somehow I'll manage. He looked into the bedroom that had belonged to his parents and the room that once held Mom's washing machine and a bed for his two sisters. Then he went to the tiny room that had held his cot. It was too chilly to sit still, so Joe began walking through the rooms, trying to remember how things had looked with furniture and his family in the house. Perhaps because he was so cold, his imagination refused to function. In the harsh gray light coming in through the windows, he could see only the torn, faded wallpaper and the dingy, broken linoleum. The kitchen was the worst. It seemed Mom should be there cooking, serving a meal, smiling in her happy way. That brought a new thought to Joe's mind. How long had it been since he had seen Mom really happy, really smiling? She didn't like the city any more than he did, but she had to stay there and work long, hard hours to support the family until Dad recovered from his illness. More than once she had told him that he was the man of the family while Dad was sick. She needed him to take care of things at home for her. Joe shrugged and kept wandering about the house, but he didn't feel as enthusiastic about being back. He realized that he was terribly cold and that his heart felt as empty as the house. It was Christmas Day, and he had done a terrible thing to Mom and his family. Maybe someday, he reflected, walking out the back door and slamming it shut. But it'll take a lot of work to make it home again. It looks worse than our trailer. Uncle's farm was less than a mile down the road. In a short time, Joe was there, sitting in the living room and telling his aunt and uncle everything that had happened, including the broken car window. He finished by adding with a shrug, Guess Mom knows by now that I'm gone. Uncle Roy nodded. She does, indeed. In fact, since shortly after midnight last night, the Dallas police have been combing the town trying to find you. Joe hung his head. I shouldn't have. I know it now. Somehow I have to make it up to Mom. Dad must never know that I ran away. Too late, said Uncle Roy. Your father came home this morning to spend the holiday with your family. Sadness flooded over Joe. Then he lifted his eyes and smiled at his uncle, who looked so much like Dad. I can't ever thank you and Aunt Em enough. The telephone interrupted him. He's here safe, Aunt Em shouted into it. Then she beckoned to Joe. Mom's voice was tense. Son, are you all right? Sure, Joe said. Then he added in a faltering voice, Mom, I'm sorry about taking the money. I'll never do it again. I'll pay it back every cent. And Mom, there's a car window I accidentally broke and have to pay for it. We'll manage somehow, Mom said. I'll try to borrow some. I told Uncle Roy, Joe said. He'll let us have the money now. I'll work on his farm this summer to pay him back. That's fine, Mom said, and she sounded happier. 
Everything will be all right. Just come home as soon as you can. Just then, Father's voice boomed in Joe's ear. Hello, son. How long do you think it will take you to get home? Joe gulped with joy. Not long, he answered. You won't leave before I get back? I'll be here until after the first of the year, he said. Then I go for a checkup. If I'm as well as the doctors think, I'll come back home to stay. Now, I want to know when you plan to come home. Joe turned to his uncle. Will you take me home today? Uncle nodded and took the phone from him. We'll be there in about four hours. Em is in the kitchen packing our Christmas dinner. We want to share it with you folks. It seems so long since we've seen one another. The highway back to Dallas seemed like a long white ribbon spelling Merry Christmas to the boy who sat silently in the back seat of the car. As the miles quickly slipped by, a great peace came to him. This is the real meaning of Christmas, he thought. Peace and love. His heart overflowed with gratitude. In slightly less than four hours, the automobile stopped beside the old trailer, and Joe's family came rushing outside. There were joyous greetings, hugs and kisses, tears in Mom's eyes, things like that, as everybody got together. Joe was the first to step inside the trailer. There was the old sofa that made into a bed for him at night. On the table stood the pop bottle holding a small branch of a fir tree with a lopsided red bow tied to it. Joe grinned down at his two sisters, who were bouncing around him. "'Merry Christmas!' he exclaimed. They hugged him hard. "'The best Christmas ever!' Sharon exclaimed. A nod showed his silent agreement. He was home with the people who loved him. That's what mattered most. The story you have heard today is from Guide's Greatest Christmas Stories, a compilation from various writers for Guide magazine, edited by Helen Lee Robinson and used with permission from the Pacific Press Publishing Association. As our special gift to you, we will be sharing one of these stories every day between now and Christmas. If you're interested in any other books published by the Seventh-day Adventist Church, please visit AdventistBookCenter.com or call 1-800-765-6955. This podcast is a production of the Carolina Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. 